The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to shift gears and talk about something a little different. Uh, senior sociopathy. Yeah, it's, it's a thing. Um, at least uh, that's what creator of lovefraud.com has to say about it and uh, lovefraud.com is a website that teaches people to recognize and recover from sociopaths but there's a uh, new book um, I think it's is let's see yeah it's uh, called senior sociopaths how to recognize and escape lifelong abusers and it's uh, coming out this month from uh, the author Donna Anderson, who joins me by phone. Good morning, Donna. Welcome to the show. Hello, Tom. Thank you for having me. Um, sociopaths never really go away. They just get older, don't they? Uh, yes, which is actually <laughs> <laughs> is kind of a revelation to a lot of people, which is why I wrote the book, because the mental health field tends to think that sociopaths uh, burn out, meaning that they engage in less antisocial behavior as they get older. And based on my personal experience and a survey that I did with thousands of love fraud readers, it's not true. So that's why I wrote the book. Well, let me let me ask you this. It seems like years ago, um, and, and I'm thinking several decades because I'm really old, is that um, sociopaths popped up in the occasional horror movie or in the headlines of, of serial killings, but now it seems like sociopaths are everywhere. Has something changed? Is there something causing people to become sociopaths, either through something genetic or learned um, over the last uh, couple of decades? Um, or are we better at identifying the tendencies? Well, uh, several things are factoring into this. First of all, sociopaths have always been around. Um, they're also sometimes referred to as psychopaths, 
But the idea that they were all serial killers and criminals, that was pretty much created by the media, uh, you know, because it obviously can make a good uh, movie like Psycho or, or American Psycho or, or those types of movies, and it makes good headlines. But the fact of the matter is that although the people tend to think that sociopaths are all serial killers and criminals, most sociopaths never kill anybody, and they aren't all criminals, uh, or at least put it this way, they're not all convicted criminals. Uh, they often engage in behavior that is immoral or unethical, uh, but not necessarily illegal. So unfortunately, most of us have this idea that they're all you know, monster-looking, and they're not. So that's one part of it, um, but the other part of it is that, yes, uh, there is increased awareness, and yes, there is more um, clarity as far as exactly what these folks do, and that's a couple of the goals that I wanted to accomplish with my book, was to first of all let people know that no, they aren't all serial killers, and yes, they live among us, millions of them live among us. And uh, if someone has one of these personality disorders, they're not going to change. Is there any studying being done, any information being uncovered about how someone becomes a sociopath? Oh, yes. Um, actually, the condition is highly genetic. And what that means is that a child can be born with a predisposition uh, to the disorder. And I, I should clarify a little bit first uh, about who I'm talking about when I'm referring to sociopaths. The term sociopath is no longer used as an official clinical diagnosis. Um, but the original meaning of the term when it was coined back in 1930 was anything deviated or pathological in social relations. So it, essentially it was anyone who could not have normal human relations with other people and tended to be exploiters. So that's what the word means. Um, so what I do is I use it as an umbrella term for several specific clinical diagnoses, which are antisocial, narcissistic, borderline, histrionic, and psychopathic personality disorders. And the reason I do that is because what these folks have in common is that they are all bad news. They all create havoc for the people around them. They rarely are upset about their own disorder. Uh, many of them think that they're superior, but they cause so much destruction and pain for everybody around them that I want to warn people that they're out there and talk about them as a group. And so that's why I use the term sociopath. So that's, that's what I'm talking about when I refer to sociopaths. And you talk about it uh, as a condition. Um, does that mean that sociopaths are conditioned there is an interaction between nature and nurture because I started to say that uh, they are born with this predisposition to become disordered. Yeah. Uh, that part is inherited. And however, whether or not it actually happens kind of depends on the parenting and the environment that they grow up in. So what that means is that 
if a child is born with a predisposition, it depends on, you know, what happens in, in his early life or her early life. And unfortunately, if you inherit the predisposition, that typically means that one of your parents or maybe even both of them are disordered. Um, and sociopaths make terrible parents. So what happens is that you have a child who is born with this propensity and then gets the terrible parenting, and it's it's a recipe for creating another sociopath. Is it is it entirely possible that parents could be contributing to a child uh, growing into a sociopath without being disordered themselves, in other words, through just the normal mistakes that parents make sometimes? Probably not so much. Um, one of my colleagues who is a psychiatrist and who has studied this uh, condition extensively, her view is that there needs to be at least a genetic predisposition in order for the um, condition to develop. So it's not, it's not a case where parents just make mistakes and the kid turns out bad, you know, just because of that. There probably was some kind of genetic predisposition to begin with. And the converse is also true in that if a child is born with one of these predispositions, sometimes no matter how well this person, the child is parented and, and how hard the parents try, they can't overcome this genetic uh, predisposition. It's called a genetic insult. So, because I talk to folks all the time who realize that um, one of their kids is disordered, either because they, they had a child with someone who was disordered or there's disorders somewhere on the family tree. And I've spoken to folks who've tried really, really hard to turn the child around and just failed, and, and they weren't able to do it. And, you know, it's, it's a very sad thing because they have to reach the conclusion that they did their best, and, and there's nothing more they can do. Can sociopaths be cured? There is hope when they are young. Um, again, it, because there is this nature and nurture, but typically once someone with one of these personality disorders, specifically antisocial, narcissistic, or psychopathic personality disorders, once they're adults, there really isn't anything that can be done. Um, you know, once it sets in, and, and that's actually the point of my book, you know, because lots of folks are in relationships. Uh, I, talk, I mean, most of my survey respondents were either married to or in romantic relationships with a sociopath, and often they stay in these relationships for 20 and 30 and 40 years just hoping that the person is going to change. And it doesn't happen, and, and that's what I found with my research. Is a sociopath capable of, of admitting and recognizing that they're a sociopath or that they're flawed in some way? Um, yes. Some of them can have insight into their condition, but typically it doesn't mean that they're going to change. You know, Because in many cases, someone with these disorders is content with how they are. I mean, it doesn't bother them. What they do is they look at other people as objects to be used, and, you know, often their view is, well, if you're dumb enough to fall for what I'm telling you, it's your problem, not mine. 
So even though they can be aware that they are um, there's something different about them, they don't necessarily it, it doesn't bother them. In fact, I've heard from people who uh, identified themselves as sociopaths and they're proud of themselves. I mean, they think that their evolution's next step. Well, that's what I was wondering is if if ego played a role in sociopaths maybe recognizing that they're in fact a sociopath but they're okay with that yeah that's absolutely the case in in many cases i mean i have heard from a few who say you know well it's no fun being me um but that still doesn't mean that they want to do um anything about it that they even want to change and of course you asked previously about whether they can be treated well the key to uh, any treatment being successful is that you want it to succeed and, and you want to change and, and you want your, your life to be different. And that just doesn't happen with most sociopaths. In, for people who are... Is it possible to have a member of your family be a sociopath and not have the condition yourself? Yes, it is. In fact, I hear from folks all the time who have a disordered parent and are not disordered themselves um, because they did not get the genetic predisposition. And, I mean, there's plenty of cases where, you know, they, they I mean, I've heard, talked to folks who both their mother and father were disordered and plus other family members, and they're not. And, you know, even with all the drama that goes on in these families, they still manage to come out not being disordered. So absolutely, that's possible. What can a person like that do? Do they just um, put up a wall and separate themselves from that behavior? Do you mean the person who is healthy? Yes. Yes. Um, in fact, that's typically the best thing to do is that if you recognize that someone in your family, your, your partner, um, even your neighbors or somebody that you work with, the best thing to do is to get the person out of your life as best you can. Now, I mean, our, our advice to folks who realize that they're dating a sociopath or in a romantic relationship with a sociopath is to go no contact, is to end the relationship and get the person out of your life. Uh, it's it's the best way forward because that's what enables you to actually recover. However, there are certain cases or, or many cases where, as I said, they've been in these relationships for 20 and 30, 40 years, and some people have made the rational decision that staying in the relationship is the least bad thing that they can do because of family ties and finances and things like that. So in those cases, what we suggest is that they emotionally disengage and essentially just try and, and live your own life um, with this other person. I've, I've heard folks describe it as, you know, being a roommate where you just don't really engage with the person, um, but you, you, you don't split apart all the finances or the family ties. My guest is Donna Anderson, author of a book called Senior Sociopaths. And Donna, I have to take a short break, but this is a fascinating uh, conversation. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Certainly. All right. Um, 
with that, we're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right Hello, back. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yellow. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. 
But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with uh, author Donna Anderson about senior sociopaths. And uh, Donna, uh, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Um, Donna, how did you get interested in sounding the alarm? Well, it <laughs> happened to me. <laughs> and uh, I actually married a guy who turned out to be a complete con artist. He took $227,000 from me. He cheated with at least six different women during our two-and-a-half-year relationship. He had a child with one of those women, and then 10 days after I left him, not 10 days after we divorced, 10 days after I left him, he married the mother of the child, which turned out to be the second time he committed bigamy. Now, this behavior made absolutely no sense to me once I figured out what was going on, and I told my therapist about it, and she said, he sounds like a sociopath. And I'm like, sociopath? What's that? And that's the reason that I started researching it. And as part of my research, I kept reading, as I mentioned earlier in the show, that sociopaths burn out in their 40s and and stop this behavior. Well, the guy that I married was 55 when I married him, and he had swindled many women before me, and he swindled more women after I divorced him. So he did not burn out. And this is the reason that I wanted to conduct the research for the book, to document that sociopaths don't quit. They just keep at it. Do you have any sense uh, from your research as to how many people qualify as sociopaths? Well, nobody really knows, but I have looked at different studies And depending on which one you look at, it ranges from 5.5% to 17.5% of the population could be diagnosed with a cluster B personality disorder. And again, I said those are antisocial, narcissistic, borderline histrionic, and psychopathic personality disorders. So if you take a midpoint, like 12%, that would mean that... 31 million adults in the United States have a cluster B personality disorder. And of the age group over 50, 14 million people over 50 could be sociopathic. One in how many, do you think? Well, let's see. That's 12% of the population, so approximately one in 10. Okay. I, I'm just reminded of that that old joke about one in three people are not very attractive, and you know if you turn to your left and that person looks okay, and you turn to your right and that person looks okay, guess what? Yeah. Um, and 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 I bring that that silly old joke up to actually raise the question because your book, the full title is Senior Sociopaths: 
how to recognize and escape lifelong abusers. How do you recognize? Aren't sociopaths pretty good at at seemingly fitting in everywhere? Yes, they are, but there definitely are things that you can look for. And actually, once you understand what the warning signs are, it's very possible to spot them. Um, you know, for example, many sociopaths are charismatic and charming. Uh, they seem to have a lot of energy. They, and, of course, this is kind of counterintuitive because people think that people who are antisocial, like, are, are her- hermits and don't want to talk to anyone, and, and that's not the case. They, they tend to be very magnetic, um, always know the right things to say, uh, or at least always keep talking, whether or not it's the right thing. That's debatable. Um, one of the things, though, is that most sociopaths lie and they, they lie fluently, they lie without skipping a beat, they tell big lies, they tell little lies, they tell stupid lies, they, they lie when they would be better off telling the truth. You know, another thing that they do is that they blame other people for everything that goes wrong in their life. They never take responsibility for anything that's bad. And another thing that they do is they engage in what's called the pity play. They try to make you feel sorry for them, and they're always... Uh, talking about you know their abusive ex or their stupid boss or something like that. So there's there is a, a, a list of traits that you can look for, and um, so it, it certainly is possible to spot them. Maybe not immediately, but before you get too far into it, you can usually figure out what's going on. What if you are uh, so-called too far into it? Is is there a concern that that somebody who exhibits sociopathic behavior could become violent? Sometimes that happens. Not all sociopaths are violent, but many violent people are sociopaths. So, yeah, I mean, I've spoken to lots of folks who um, have been physically abused. In fact, that's one of the things that goes on with with, um, sociopaths who are parents is that they often physically abuse the kids. Um, They they can physically abuse their spouses, and this applies to both men and women. You know, there are male and female sociopaths, and you know, you don't you don't want to be involved with any of them. They're 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 miserable. And and what about pulling away? Um, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times, uh, Donna, that that as soon as you recognize this, you know, try to to steer yourself away from those people um, before you get in too far. But once you're already in a situation, if you're, if you're married, if you're part of a family and members of your family exhibit this behavior, um, how, how do you go about removing yourself? And, and should people be afraid of, of causing anger and potential violence? Yes, you can take steps to escape, and it it does depend on everybody's personal situation and and what the circumstances are. Um, But let's talk about folks who are married, for example. Um, I have definitely spoken to lots of people who are, you know, maybe any... 5, 10, 15 years into it, 
and finally figure out, you know, why their spouse is such a problem and why their marriage has been so difficult, and they, they realize that he or she is disordered. So then it's like, okay, what do you do now? And it depends if there's children, um, because one of the things that often happens is if you have children with someone who's a sociopath, uh, the, the sociopath, of course, never truly love the children because they're incapable of loving anyone, but they do consider the kids to be their property. And so often what happens is that even if you want to split up, um, sometimes the sociopath wants to retain you know, control of the kids, and sometimes they want to uh, use the children and try to um, drive a wedge between you and the kids in order to separate you. With, and the whole situation gets very complicated and very painful. So if someone is in that situation, they should really research what they're involved with. And you need to often think very strategically about how you're going to get out. Um, because what happens is sociopaths are primarily interested in pri um, power and control over if you, if you're the spouse. And the minute you let them know that you want out, everything tends to escalate. So you have to be real careful about how, about how you get out of it. Um, there's lots of advice on the Internet, on, on Love Fraud, my website, and other places about how to do this. But typically what you want to do is make all your plans um, to escape before you even like give the person a clue that you're leaving. In fact, if possible, you want to leave while that person is not home. And um, But you have to be very careful because, you know, lots of things can become very difficult once the person knows that you're on the way out the door. What What people call now ghosting. Ghosting means where you just kind of disappear. And yeah. that's an excellent strategy if it works for you. Uh, that, that can certainly happen in um, a dating relationship. If, uh, and, and believe me, I've spoken to plenty of senior citizens or, or people over 50, put it that way, uh, who have started dating someone and the other person is already over 50. And, 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 and they do figure out that, my goodness, this is not good. You know, something is going on here. So if, if you have no ties, you know, ghosting is a great approach. You know, just kind of disappear and let the other person go away and stop talking to them. Um, so that's an, an excellent way to, to end it. And then... Um is there is there a way to avoid coming into contact or is there really no advance warning well yes as i said earlier if you know what the warning signs are um then you can spot them but here here's the way you avoid sociopaths first of all know that they exist and this is actually the hard part. This has been the biggest challenge for me as the author of Love Fraud is to educate people about the fact that millions of these sociopaths live among us and they're everywhere and they look just like us and we need to know that they're out there. So that's the first step. The second step is to know the warning signs. I talked about a few of them previously, but again, people can uh, go to love fraud or there's lots of other places now that talk about the warning signs of someone who has antisocial or narcissistic or psychopathic personality disorder. So that's the second step, to know the warning signs. The third step is to trust your instincts. 
Now, our intuition evolved over millennia to protect us from predators. So usually we get some kind of a gut feeling um, or an intuition that something is not right about this person. Uh, we just have a, a bad feeling or, or things aren't adding up or something just seems off. Many of us overlook that. Many of us say, oh, you know, everybody's created equal. We're all the same. Everybody has their problems, and they overlook that when, in fact, they should be paying attention to their intuition because it's a warning that someone could be dangerous to you, either emotionally or psychologically, financially. So that's the main thing. We all have intuition, and if we pay attention to it, we'll be able to either escape the sociopaths or get them out of our lives fairly quickly. We've been talking mostly about... um intimate relationships, uh, romantic relationships, marriages, family relationships. But can't these um, situations present themselves in professional environments and in the workplace? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I have one of the chapters of the book is specifically about uh, senior sociopaths as, like, neighbors and also uh, in the workplace. And so absolutely that's a possibility. And, and so one of the things that I did was uh, calculate or, or get data on some of the behavior of senior sociopaths in the workplace. They tend to be manipulative. Uh, again, if anything goes wrong, they blame someone else. They can't be trusted. They cause turmoil among the coworkers. Uh, they typically have people uh, above them in the organization fooled. Um, they promise but don't deliver. So absolutely, this can. Th- these folks are. I mean, they're they're not all you know criminals standing on the corner. Many of them have jobs, and they just create havoc in the workplace. And uh, how do you recommend, or what do you recommend to people who find themselves in that situation? Is it best just to uh, find other employment, or? Um, or, or should they talk to superiors uh, and, and um, management well, and so on? Um, it, it's often, I, I think the best thing to do is find another job, in all honesty, um, because sociopaths are really good at office politics. And you know, they, they may have the bosses above them snowed, um, so if you go to a boss and, and say that this person is doing this, uh, you know, they, you may or may not be believed, you know, unless it's a case where there's, like, uh, sexual harassment and you have evidence, uh, because some of them do engage in that in an office. Um, so, you know, it, it may or may not work to get somebody um, removed from the organization, um, but you would often need to have some uh, evidence. Uh, you would need... Some, um, a, a whole procedure, and sometimes what they do is, is just so subtle that it's hard to make a case. So, I mean, the thing is, sociopaths will always create havoc within the organization, and if they're not bothering you, they're going to be bothering other people, and actually employers should be aware of that and, and realize how damaging they, these folks are to their companies. Um, but you might be able to make a case to the HR department or something like that, or, or maybe you can't. So the easiest thing may be to get another job, uh, but you, it, it all depends on your situation is what the best approach will be. 
yeah, it's probably going to be different from case to case. I would suspect if if that behavior presented itself in a uh, a, a boss or or somebody in a, a higher rank in in a company, that that you're really just out of luck. That you really should just leave and find another job. I agree with that, and it is actually fairly common for these folks to be in the corporate suite, so to speak. There's a, a man by the name of Robert Hare who is like the guru of psychopathy. He's done a lot of the original research um, as far as the diagnostic criteria for psychopaths. And the, the definition of a psychopath is similar to but not quite the same as antisocial personality disorder. And Dr. Hare believes that about 1% of the population meets his criteria for um, psychopathic personality disorder, but 3.5% of corporate executives meet the definition. So that means there's 3.5 times as many psychopaths in corporate offices uh, as there are on the street. That's frightening. Yeah. <laughs> um, Donna, what's, what's next for you? Well, my new book launches today, and I'm, I'm really pleased about it. It's um, available on Amazon and other places and also on our website, lovefraud.com. Um, we also offer like webinars. We have a whole bunch of webinars presented by me and other people. And so uh, I have a few more webinars that I'm planning to develop um, to help people understand these situations and figure out how to recover. I, I have a couple other books lined up if I ever get to it. Um, but for, actually, for the time being, I'm going to uh, enjoy life <laughs> a little bit more than I have been because <laughs> I've been busy. Uh, with my husband, uh, I've... I have remarried, and in fact, uh, I've been with my husband now for 17 years, so there definitely is a hope for life after psychopath or sociopath, and uh, so we're planning a few vacations. You know, there are so many uh, so-called dating apps now um, where people are looking to find companions um, using internet technology and so on are there things that people should watch out for in a person's biography that might keep them from uh, pursuing someone who might have some of these tendencies before it becomes uh, uh, up close and personal well the first thing to understand is that all internet dating apps are dangerous. The internet is infested with sociopaths. In fact, that was one of the questions that I asked on my survey of the people who were romantically involved with uh, a sociopath. And these are, of course, people over the age of 50. So how did you meet them? Well, 36% met on the internet whether it was a dating app or Facebook or, or something like that. So the real problem isn't what the profile says of the other person. The real problem is what you say, because if you put information on a dating app about 
what you like and what type of person you're interested in and what your interests are and all this other stuff, what happens is you are giving the sociopath a blueprint of how to seduce you because what they do is they figure out what you're looking for and then make themselves into that person. So the the place where you need to be careful is what you say about what you're looking for. Interesting. Um, Donna, it's been a real pleasure talking with you, um, although this is all terribly frightening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> The um, the book is called Senior Sociopaths, How to Recognize and Escape Lifelong Abusers. As uh, Donna said, it's out today. It's written by uh, Donna Anderson, who is the creator of lovefraud.com, a website that teaches people to recognize and recover from sociopaths. And she's got several books on the subject. Um Donna, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Is lovefraud.com the best uh, source, or do you have uh, another website or sites that you'd like to share? Lovefraud.com is the place to go, and um, the resources there are extensive. There's uh, probably about three or 4,000 articles. Um, we have lots of folks who have written about their own stories. Um, we have the webinars. We have books. I offer consultations. So, you know, there's lots and lots of material there. And one of the benefits is that if someone suspects that they might be in a situation like this, if you come to Love Fraud and start reading all the other stories, you, you can see that, other people have gone through what you're experiencing. And, you know, in a way, as scary as it is, it's kind of um, reassuring because often when people are in these situations, it can be so mind-blowing that you think that you're the only one it ever happened to. And, and that's not the case at all. There's lots of people out there, so there's lots of people who actually understand what you're dealing with. And that's one of the benefits of seeing other people's stories. Well, Donna, thanks so much, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you, Tom. I'm so glad to have the opportunity to talk to you and your listeners. All right. Take care. Now, when a virus comes along that's spreading like a plague, and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague, well, then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well, unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War One. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. 
If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the lesson to dry a super bad, transmittable. Super bad transmittable hey. contagious. <laughs> and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now too. And even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMagno. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Quiplet Technology, Mark Community College, Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital... Go to a local symphony concert. Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the It's Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. 
She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company, and then ask for the gift card number over the phone. Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov/ag for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone... I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
the same old bag of lies About race confusion and lame alibis Telling you people You got to hear me when I say Oh, I'm begging you people, yeah It's got to be a better way Yeah, yeah Together we will fall Together we will fall If we don't learn to change our Watch TV. 
I'd rather volunteer for a high-risk commando raid to parachute into Wuhan and find that little fellow that ordered that bat soup. I know I'm talking out of my head, saying crazy stuff over and over like, yes, dear, yes, dear. At breakfast, I meant to say, honey, please pass me the pepper. Well, what slipped out was, you crazy woman, you've ruined my life. <laughs> of course, I immediately apologized. <laughs> As soon as I regained consciousness. Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Thanks to uh, all of my guests including Donna Anderson, and uh, before that, of course, uh, Patrick Girondi. And um, we started out this morning with an encore with uh, Douglas Brewer, or Brower, rather. Uh, tomorrow, GOP uh, candidate for Michigan governor, one of the primary candidates, Ryan Kelly followed by Armchair Politics with our roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter joined by Wes Whitaker. In the meantime, good night everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.